Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh My dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there And welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast With your host, Dili Hussein. Now, I promise you guys every episode That I'm going to find another word besides special to describe our guests um, I've not achieved that yet I'm working on it. I'm working on my thesaurus and all of that. But um, today's guest is someone who's very special. Special needs. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Straight away, political correctness out of the window, yeah? But today's guest is someone who's very special to me. He's a, besides being a friend, an advisor, and a mentor, a business partner, he's also someone who's uh, denied me of a job two, three times. Um, and uh, I still end up working with him. Uh, on Five Pillars, and that is the editor-in-chief of Five Pillars, Rosha Muhammad Saleh. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. How are you? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Had a bit of coronavirus uh, uh, a month or two back, but I've recovered, alhamdulillah, and fighting fit now. Yeah, because you had us a bit worried for about two, three weeks, right? Yeah, I had a bad bout of coronavirus. I had all the symptoms, uh, shortness of breath, fever, headache, uh, everything. And, um, you know, at one point I was even on the verge of going into hospital because I was really short of breath. But I just kind of recovered really quickly and uh, now I feel fine, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. And how do you feel that this is the third time in six years that we're on screen together? Well, obviously we, we live in different cities, don't we? So we we work, I mean, we speak every day, yeah. but we work remotely, don't we? Of course. So it is a bit weird um, because obviously we're <laughs> collaborating every single day, yeah. but we're never in the same place at the same time. So I probably haven't seen you in a couple of months. So It has, yeah. been, it has yeah. been a couple of months, yeah. it has indeed. Now, let me kick off today's podcast, uh, because today's podcast is entirely to do with Five Pillars. Mm. Um, and I think it's important because we've been around for six, six and a half years. Um, and it goes without saying that we're part of the British Muslim landscape, whether it be from an activist point of view or a media point of view. Mm. We've, been, we've been around, we've done a fair amount of work, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions pertaining to both you and I as individuals mm. and our work. So hopefully today's podcast should um, yeah, address some of those issues. So let me first... Start with some quick fire questions about yourself. Uh, questions which uh, readers, supporters, critics, friends, allies have wondered about you, right? <laughs> um, so let me start. And apologies in advance. I know what's coming. Okay. Okay. So the <laughs> first. Okay, what was the first one? What do you think the first one is? Um, are you like a pro-Iran? Closet Shia. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, so are you Sunni or Shia? I'm Sunni, yeah. Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm Sunni, 100%. Yeah. Raised from the childhood as a Sunni. Yeah, Sunday. yeah, of course. My, my dad was um, Muslim from Sri Lanka. Yeah. Uh, Sunni Muslim from Sri Lanka. My mum was a Christian, but she converted uh, to Islam a long time ago. Uh, so yeah, Sunni Islam is the only Islam I've ever known. Yeah. So, so what is your ethnic makeup? Yeah, so my, my dad was Sri Lankan and my mother's Welsh, so Welsh Sri Lankan. So I'm not English, that's very important, I'm not English. Okay, so, so you know when you say your father's Sri Lankan, yeah. there was something I recall you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, something about Yemeni traders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically the Sri Lankans, the Sri Lankan Muslims tended to come from Yemen several generations back. Uh, and that in fact was where the, the word serendipity comes from, the English word serendipity, the Arab sailors... You know, they, they chanced upon this beautiful island in the Indian Ocean called Sri Lanka, which they call Serendib. So, yeah, most Sri Lankan Muslims originally come from Yemen, the Hadramaut region. But obviously, there's been lots of intermarriage, etc. Yeah. So your father, uh, is your father still alive? No, my father passed away about 15 years ago. My yeah. love, mercy on him. I mean, yeah. um, so he would then be ethnically Asian. Yeah, but uh, probably with Arab origins going back uh, several generations. But yes, um, 
as I said, there was intermarriage a lot. The the Sri Lankan, sorry, the Muslims from the Arab world, they married with local Sri Lankans who converted, etc. So the roots are a bit hazy, but the family legend is that we all come from Hadramaut, yeah. and I'm sticking by that. Okay, uh, that's same for us. So if you ask about my family, we trace our lineage back to Sheikh Farid Al Ansari Al Yemeni. Yeah, oh, uh, wow. the, the the 300 360 or so Yemeni Duat or saints or soldiers, however you want to describe them, they brought Islam to the Bengal region. Yeah. So we too trace our lineage back to Yemen. Yeah. How true that is, uh, Allah knows best. Um, so you're half white. I don't brag about it, but <laughs> you're, 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 you're half the yeah, race. Yeah, my mother's my mother's white. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. And 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 what does Auntie think about some of your? Uh, I'm white on I'm I'm half white on the outside. I'm fully brown on the inside. Okay. And the green bluish eyes. Where does that come? Which part of the family? That, that comes from my grandfather, actually, my uh, my Sri Lankan grandfather. Okay, yeah. mashallah. Um, why do you dislike England football club so much? England football team. I think I just associate it with, I think all the angst I have about the British Empire, because I was born in Sri Lanka and I spent my early childhood years in Sri Lanka. And we kind of came over here for economic reasons, other reasons as well. But you know, the, the traditional story, you know, we didn't really want to come to a cold and wet country. You know, we wanted to stay, you know, I, I was born near a beach, you know, coconut trees and stuff like that. Had a great lifestyle out there. Um, and but we came here because Britain destroyed our countries. You know, that's why the Pakistanis, the Bengalis. Yeah, you know, that's that's why well, came ethnics are here yeah, yeah. in this country. And I guess I've had a chip on my shoulder. And, and growing up in North Wales, I might look like half white to you or whatever, but there I was a, a P. Yeah. Can I say the word? I, I, I was a Paki. Yeah. In North Wales, I was 100% Paki because yeah. everyone else was white. And I got a lot of racism um, when I was. Uh, I mean, I don't want to portray myself as some kind of victim and living a Islamophobic nightmare every day of my life. But we did basically get kicked out of our house by racists. And, you know, so I guess I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I'm not, um, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not someone that's going to throw bombs. I'm not someone who's going to, you, know, um, you know, take my anger out on Britain that way because it's wrong. Yeah, of course. And I help grannies cross the road. I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. But... Allow me one thing. Allow me to hate on the English football team. <laughs> yeah. Do you differentiate between the English football team and, let's say, like me, the English cricket team or English rugby team? Well, I don't really like cricket or rugby. But I tell you what, I'm a football fan. Yeah. So if the England football team started playing like Barcelona or Brazil, I might even grudgingly support them a little bit because I love football. Okay. But um, I guess I just associate the England football team because it's a symbol of England, isn't it? Of course, absolutely. So I associate it with with the empire, with racism, colonialism, in my own mind. Obviously, I know the individual players are not like that. Of course. It's just a symbol in my own mind. Maybe I go a bit over the top. Mm. It's, my one, it's my one weakness. Some people don't like it. But, I, you know, just let me do it, man. Okay. So, so the way I see it is I agree with you about the English football team. And the reason why I uh, never support the English football team is because of all the sports I find Football to be the one where the most rabid type of nationalism comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when England wins the Cricket World Cup or Rugby World Cup, you don't see what happens when England Football Club gets to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah? that level of uh, debauchery and drunken behaviour and quite open uh, hooligan behaviour. You don't see that with rugby or cricket. No. And I've said the same with regards to Bangladesh, even though they've not got that fine cricket ever. But even my Pakistani friends and family members, I've said, look. When I see a rabid type of nationalism, mm. one which is quite clearly haram at times, mm. especially in the way we celebrate it, I tend to not want to support that team. 
And I just feel that England football team, or when England does well in football, we see that type yeah, of... Yeah, it brings out the racists yeah. and the uh, skinheads. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to a football match anymore. I wouldn't take my kids to a football match. Yeah, it's worrying. It's just a horrible atmosphere, swearing, people urinating in the stands. You know, it's like... I'm exaggerating, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. but it's just not a family atmosphere. Of course, you know. And, and how does Auntie feel about these views of yours? Auntie, who's my who, which uh, Auntie? Your mother. Oh right, sorry. Does she know about these views of yours? Yeah, I mean, my yes, but my my mum is still ultimately. You know, they say you can take the the girl out of the village, but you can't, you can't take the village out of the girl. You know, ultimately, she's still a Brit. You know, she's. I mean, she's Welsh. She's not English. You know, so there is a difference here that the Welsh were colonized by the English as well, as were the Scottish, as were the Irish. So I actually have a soft spot for the Welsh, the Irish, the Scottish. But there's a certain type of kind of um, Brit, colonial minded Brit that gets up my nose. My mum doesn't agree with most of my views, I have to say. And I, but, you have, know. You have you shown her some of your tweets? About no, she's not on Twitter. She's not on social okay. media. Okay. Uh, she might, won't even see this uh, podcast. I, 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 so I, 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 I might send her some of your tweets. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what do you do for fun? Some people think that you're... you're I don't have... It isn't fun haram. I don't... Um, <laughs> I, I play football. You know, I, I do sport. I enjoy sport. Yeah. I don't enjoy music. Okay. You know, and... Um, Most would say that is probably I, haram. I don't know. Fun. I, I think I work. You know, I like politics. I'm, I'm, I'm not like your average person that enjoys listening to music, that enjoys like stupid things like dancing and stuff like that. And all this... You, uh, don't, you, don't, you don't dance at weddings with male relatives? I have never danced in my life. I, I consider it a, a feminine activity. Yeah. So it's um, it's not something I I don't I don't have fun in the conventional sense. Me having fun is educating myself. That's what for me to be entertained is when I educate myself and learn things, travel, a bit of sport. But yeah, to be honest, um, I, I'm I'm not the life and soul of the party. By what, any means. What, what what kind what, what kind of TV programs or series do you watch anything? Yeah, obviously with coronavirus and we've all been binging on Netflix, you know, documentaries, a bit of politics, uh, anything about the Middle East. Okay. Languages, I like languages, so I try and watch foreign language films. Not Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or... I've watched Breaking Bad. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, it's not... Uh, I'll watch it if there's nothing else on. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but Breaking Bad's good, yeah. Narcos, of course, you know, anything to do with drugs and Pablo Escobar. Yeah, okay, absolutely. fair enough. So, you know, in your book, Confessions of a Muslim Journalist, um, the link will be here on the screen um, for you to purchase it. Um, you mentioned towards the end of the chapter where you spoke about five pillars of myself and you said that we, you and I both come from very different backgrounds. Mm. And that's true. Uh, and just based on what you've said there, what you do for fun, what you regard as areas of interest, do you see yourself as someone who's an uppity middle class Muslim? I'm definitely middle class, my background, no doubt about that. And I'm obviously posher than you. Not that's, that's not a problem. It's not very difficult, but no. yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm a bit posher than you, no doubt about it. And I come from a middle class background. I think you'd say you come from a working class yes, background. Absolutely. You're proud of it. Yeah. I am what I am. Do you know what I mean? I'm not pretending to be anything else. But what I would say is, despite the fact that I'm half white yeah. and middle class, inside, I'm brown and I'm Muslim. Okay. You know, and that's all I have to say. But I'm not denying that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I am middle class. But that's why I'm so critical of middle class Muslims because I know their mentality, and a lot of middle class Muslims, I feel, and I'm, again, I'm exaggerating here and generalizing, um, but they don't feel the suffering mm. and the you know, of most Muslims in this country who come from very 
restricted economic circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. Middle class Muslims have had it good, and that's why that God saved the Queen. But that is not the reality of most Muslims in this country. What about those who have worked from becoming working class to middle class? Because that's also happened, right? Well, then you get these like Tory boys, don't you? Like, you know, they think they've made it, and they think anyone can make it just because they've made it. But yeah. the reality is, it's not a level playing field. Mm. And, you know, those, there are always the exceptions that make it through hard work. And, and you're going to increase your life chances through hard work, no doubt about it. But ultimately, you know, a lazy white boy mm. who went to private school and had all those connections, it's more likely to make it than a, a brown boy mm. who works damn hard but has none of those privileges and connections. That's been proven through data, though, yeah. and, and various sociological yeah. research. Right, we're going towards more the kind of more deeper questions now, right? Um, are you unhappy with life? Your, you, no, not life. <laughs> are you just unhappy? Yeah. You know, are you unhappy with some of your journalistic achievements or lack of achievements <laughs> in, in, ter in terms of accolades and awards and stuff like that? Because one of the ways in which people measure success, right, is by uh, oh, I've got no awards. <laughs> same. I mean, well, th this is what we. Th I think Five Pillars should start an award ceremony Inshallah. and give ourselves all the awards because <laughs> no one else is going to give us the award. Do you know what I mean? But um, no, I mean, look. Certainly when I was younger, you're, 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 locus, you're, in, you're more insecure, basically. Yeah. And your locus of evaluation is external. It really matters to you what other people think. Absolutely. And I think it was the same for me until, you know, I mean, I'm in, in my mid-40s now, you know? Don't and uh, and um, up till the age of, you know, maybe 35, 40, I really cared what other people thought about mm. my work. Yeah. And I really cared about being praised. And I had to be in front of the camera. But over the last 10 years, I've gone the other way now. And it's kind of, I think I'm more confident in who I am as a person. And uh, yeah, I still listen to criticism and I still don't like it when people, you know, <laughs> and I still get a bit defensive like we all do. Yeah, of course we do. But ultimately, I can take a, a step back now and say, oh, that's a lot of rubbish. Mm. I don't care. Mm. Or there's a germ of truth in that. Maybe I can make some improvements. So how do you feel when there was, a, there was a time in your life where you did work at the same company as Mehdi Hassan, right? Yeah, yeah. a lot of weekend television, yeah. Yes, and... And and, and, and he completely overshadowed me. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, so, so, so I, mean, I mean, Mehdi Hassan is someone who borderline is idealized by the Muslim yeah, community, yeah. right? And I mean, me personally, I mean, he's someone who brought me into Huffington Post and he allowed me to blog and, you know, and, and the way he grills certain guests is, is, is really uh, admirable, right? But... When looking at how the trajectory of Mehdi Hassan mm. and, and, and then looking at your trajectory, um, be it Granada, be it Al Jazeera, be it Islam Channel, then Press TV and then Five Pillars, do you look back at that with any regret about how? No, you absolutely not. Because I think um, I think we all want to see, we all, we all, all want to be successful. We all want to have videos which go viral. We all want to make an impact. And Mehdi Hassan obviously has made that impact more than any other British Muslim journalist. When I knew him, he's about five years younger than me. And it was obvious he was fresh out of Oxford. It was obvious he was an exceptional talent. And he overshadowed everybody in the office. But it was also pretty obvious that he was a bit of a coconut. And I, you know, I said it to his face many times. And he, the, the, the football test is a good one. I remember 2002 World Cup, England were playing Brazil. I was sporting Brazil. He was supporting England. So, you know, obviously he's, he's a proud Brit as well, which I'm not. Um, at the same time, it was obvious he was going to go places. But, you know, we took different trajectories and obviously I'm happy with my career. Did you have a cordial relationship with Methy? A cordial, absolutely. Yeah, you had a friendly relationship and we still message each other very occasionally because obviously he's in America now. But um, 
I was never, we were never great mates, but, but we got on well because we were the two Muslims in a non-Muslim office. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, we both did different things. It's wrong to be jealous in life. It'll just eat you up. He did his thing. I think I have problems with some of his views and the path that he's taken, which is more of a mainstream path. The mainstream was never for me, absolutely never for me. I don't feel right in the mainstream. I don't feel Islamically comfortable in the mainstream. But you dipped your toes in the mainstream, right? I got a training in the mainstream. And that's what I would encourage Muslim journalists to do, is to use the mainstream to get a training, because that's where you'll find the most professionalism, unfortunately. Yeah. I'd like to say it was the Muslim media, but it isn't. None is. It's the mainstream. Absolutely. So stay there, dip your toes in there, learn their tricks, learn their professionalism, learn their techniques and then get out. Because if you stay in, you're gonna become like them, mm. you know? And that is not a good place to be Islamically. That's how I feel. If you're a strong person, maybe you can, you can, you can withstand that. But most people, you know, they will, get, they will become like the people they hang around. Mm. So Muslim journalists, do not become enamored. Do, do not think you've made it if you work for the BBC or other mainstream channels. You know, you might think you made it. Your, your mum and dad might think you made it. I don't think you made it. Because I, th I just think you become like the white man's monkey, yeah. quite frankly. I mean, I mean, what, one of the positions I've always maintained is that um, Muslims should excel within the mainstream media if they feel that that's the best thing for their particular career path. But I feel that you will not be able to excel without making major compromises. Of course. And even when you want to pitch certain stories, certain, certain um, uh, you know, what do you call the, the short news clips? That you do packages yeah or, yeah, yeah if you want to pitch certain packages and you want to make a very grassroots focus that either it will be heavily edited or it'll be rejected at some point or another you will face a number of obstacles if you want to be a practicing principled muslim within the mainstream media they just want brown faces they don't want to actually change the way they think they just want to get brown faces there to superficially project the fact that they're into equality and diversity but real equality and diversity is actually listening to the community and, you know, allowing that community a voice. That doesn't happen in the BBC and elsewhere. You get crushed by the machine. They're using you for their own agenda. And yes, you might do one or two reports which go viral. You might become famous. But ultimately, are you really serving your community in the mainstream? I don't think you are. And that's why I'm in the alternative media. I'm very happy with Five Pillars. And... Last but not least, and this is a question which I you actually started with what you thought I was going to ask you. Um, are you an Iranian propagandist? <laughs> I think I have been in my career, if I'm to be honest, because I worked for Press TV, didn't I? And Press TV is uh, Iran's channel. I worked there for a long time and but still you freelance there. But you yourself as an individual, do you see yourself no, as someone? No, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, 14, 15 years older than you. Yeah. So my early worldview was shaped by the Islamic Revolution. Like a lot of people my age and older than me, remember that very clearly. And that was like, even Sunnis, Sunnis viewed that as a victory for Islam after five centuries of non-stop getting battered by the imperialist Western colonialists. Um, so that shaped my worldview. We can argue about which way Iran has gone since, but certainly I was inspired by the Iranian revolution and have um, been involved with Iranian journalists throughout my life. Uh, I've been to Iran several times. Uh, it's a very beautiful country. I encourage people to visit um, and have been in deeply involved in that scene through Press TV and others. Um, I think, if I'm honest, since I started Five Pillars, I wanted to, with Five Pillars anyway, I didn't want to meddle in mesh 
the two worlds that I inhabit. Uh, I think that was very important because Five Pillars is not an Iranian propaganda <laughs> organ at all. And it can't be because ultimately it is for Muslims and 85% of the world's Muslims are Sunni. You know, So issues like Syria, where we might differ on the politics of Syria, I understand 100% that the Iranian point of view on Syria is completely a minority view. And so that cannot be reflected in five pillars. You know, so I guess I do... Honestly, I'm not going to lie to anybody, and it's all searchable online anyway. Yeah. So I can't lie. Yeah. You know, my worldview was shaped by the Iranian Revolution. I have been influenced by that type of thinking, but Five Pillars is not that. Mm. I think it's also fair to say that whether many want to admit it now in light of Syria, the 79 revolution mm. did heavily influence many Islamic Sunni organizations. Yeah, right? Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim yeah. Brotherhood, namely, right? Where their emissaries from around the Arab world went to Iran when the revolution happened. Uh, many of the thinkers were influenced by it. Many, many celebrated the 79 revolution. Um, even up until now, you'll find the likes of Islamic Jihad and Hamas and others who still refer back to the 79 revolution very positively. Mm. Um, so I think at least you're able to honestly say that it had an impact on your life and influenced yeah, it. Whereas many, whereas many wouldn't now. Yeah, they yeah. wouldn't. Even if it did, many wouldn't simply because of Iran's stance on Syria. So that's it really. Um, those were my questions for you. Do you have any for me? Well, all my mates think you're a sectarian anti-Shia. Okay. Um, I'll be very clear about this. Uh, my position towards the Shia is the mainstream Sunni position, and that is by default they are Muslim, right? Um, I'll even cite um, Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, who I know the Shia do not like. And he said, Ahl al Qibla, if they testify that there's no, other, no one but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet is the final messenger, they are Muslim. Now, whether they're Sunni or Shia, once someone uh, says or does something that goes beyond the six articles of faith, the five pillars of Islam, then it doesn't matter if you're Sunni or Shia. Mm. Um, if you have uh, deviant or heretical views, then you are what you are. Uh, with regards to the Shia specifically, um, if you curse Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, our mother Aisha, um, then yes, I do not like you. And I don't think I can ever be an ally of you. Mm. Um, because these are the best of people that came after the Prophet, testified by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, where Allah said himself that he is pleased with them, and they are pleased with him. Um, so, am I anti-Shia? Absolutely not. Um, do I regard them as Muslims? Absolutely. That is the general default mm. position. Um, the ones who I have problems with are the ones who curse those yeah. who are most beloved to me. Um, I'm also a believer that there will never be a utopian unity with the Shia Because historically that's never happened So something that's not happened historically cannot happen now There can be peaceful coexistence mm. There can be coexistence without provocation And there can be existence and even some level of unity on shared interests So in the West, Islamophobia, Islamophobia Palestine, LGBTQ, yeah. Palestine, yeah. Prevent, stuff like this um, so yeah, I mean, the way you presented it there, I don't disagree with the word that you just said. So why do you think you have this reputation? Then? I think the reason why I have this reputation is because, namely due to the Syrian conflict, um, because there were certain rebel factions which I was hoping would defeat Bashar, um, and they were seen as sectarian takfiri jihadis. And but then again, that label was discriminately used against any. Sunni rebels from, mm. from, from many elements within the Shia community And I think what the Syrian conflict did was that it polarised many communities And it brought back 
the intra-Muslim sectarianism that existed that has always existed, but it brought it really to our doorsteps in the UK and the broadly speaking the West. I think the reason why uh, some or many uh, Shia Muslims have this opinion of me is because I wear my Sunni identity on my sleeve. Yeah. I am unapologetically Sunni. Um, it's part of who I am. It's part of my heritage, as it is yours. And, um, and I'm just not shy about calling out uh, inconsistencies where it is. I mean, if someone was to ask me, um, you know, uh, what, what would you mean there's never been a unity between Sunni and Shia historically? I can cite you so many examples. I can cite you examples dating back to the sacking of Baghdad and the Shia elite who assisted the Mongols. I can cite you examples of mm. how Saladin Ayyubi, he prioritized the dismantling of the Fatimids before he took Jerusalem. I can cite you many examples with the Safavids and Shah Ismail who forced the Sunnis of Persia to become Sunnis. It has never been rosy. It was a political difference that became a theological difference. That's essentially what it was. The difference was about who was going to become a Khalifa after the Prophet mm. So that was a political difference. So even if a Shia came to me and said, I, we believe that Imam Ali should have been the Khalifa, not Abu Bakr. That is a political view, right? Yeah. That's a political view uh, that's espoused by many. Uh, by, by many, I mean by Even many. Some Shia. Sunnis yeah. get a, a strong yeah, yeah, some Sunni, but yeah. but 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 they don't because they just see it as yeah. So they won't voice that, but they just see it as what happened was the best course of action. Yeah. Because Allah willed it. Yeah. Um, that's not the issue here. The issue here is uh, when it becomes a theological difference, mm. and then that theological difference becomes a justification for violence. And one last thing, I think another reason why some within the Shia do not, uh, within the British Muslim community anyway, do not like me is because when it comes to um, Karbala, um, I, I, I consistently say that you cannot be the champion of Imam Hussein's legacy, alayhi salam, but at the same time be on the side of tyranny. So you know, yeah, yeah. Roshan, am I anti-Saudi? Yes, you are. Am I? Am I not anti general? I mean, you know that. Am I not anti generally most Muslim regimes? Yeah. So the label of being Salafi takfiri does not count with me because I will call out Saudi yeah. way more than I call out any other regime. So, so that doesn't work with I me. I personally think I don't think you're anti Shia. Yeah. Um, because what you've just said to me there. Yeah. As a default position, you accept Shias as Muslim. Of course. Okay. A lot of Sunnis would not say that. I disagree. Uh, I mean, a, minor, a, a, a large minority of Sunnis would not accept that. Let's put it that way. I, I Maybe 20%, 30%, I don't know. So you're saying that by default, may most Muslims... So that's already Muslims. better than what a lot of people already... No, I, th I think that needs to be clarified. Think. No, yeah. I th no, no. I, th I think most Sunni Muslims, by default... Because it's a classical mainstream position. Mm. It's a classical mainstream position that even if vast majority of Sunnis believe that Shia have uh, heretical or deviant views... At face value, by default, they are Muslim until they utter or do something. But what I was about to say is that I think ultimately people have got this impression because of certain media appearances that you've made or things that you've said on your social media, yeah. which politically yeah. are, are perceived to be anti-Shia yeah, because, because they, they take certain positions. Yeah. I think that's why people probably, when I ask you that question, do you believe the Shia is Muslim? A lot of people would have expected you to say no. Well, that's crazy, and and that's not fair either. Because if 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 Shia brothers and sisters have the concept of Hussein and Dhan, mm. like we do, like the Sunnis do, then they should also understand that if I criticize Hezbollah or Nasrullah, if I if I 
rejoiced at the death of Qasem Soleimani, if I criticize Abu Israel, the militia leader in Iraq, if I criticize Rouhani or Ahmadinejad, that this is not a matter of iman and disbelief. Mm. This is a political stance that I'm taking. But if their actions has been justified for theological stuff, then I will speak out against it. Look, look. I, I mean, I mean, just on the defense of of of, of Sunni Muslims. By default, they don't think the Shia are disbelievers. This is this is, this is an incorrect view. And then, and I, it, no, I said a minority of them do. Okay, but yes, a minority may do. Um, but it's also it's always been the case. By default, you are Muslim, mm. and and in fact, you could be potentially sinful if you approach a Muslim who testifies mm. the Shahada as a from, kafir. From my point of view, as I said, I I don't believe in the imamate, yeah. so I can't be a Shia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hate the cursing. Yeah. So I can't be a Shia. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a Sunni Muslim, inshallah, to the day I die. Inshallah. But at the same time, I hate sectarianism. And I do think that people are obsessed about this topic and it, it just leads to, um, you know, it just doesn't lead to anywhere good. And I think the ultimate deal that I would like to see is for the Shia to stop cursing the Sahaba. Mm. Ideally, not privately or openly, but definitely not openly. Yeah. Okay. But ideally privately as well. But, and the other, um, the other point of view... I would like to see Sunnis stop making takfir. But unless those two things happen, I can't see Islamic unity happening. Yeah, but I also do believe, and I know this may be a bit controversial, I don't think for real Islamic unity to happen, it requires the unity of the Shia. Yeah, because you think the Sunnis can unite. Because yeah, the Sunnis the can unite. If we're 85-90%, I mean, historically... But they're very divided as well, aren't they? Yeah, we're all I'm, divided. I'm, I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, I get that. I mean, but... Let me ask you a counter question. How does it make you feel when you get these complaints and accusations about me? About you? I think that's just, just a headache. You know, I just want to I just want to focus on positive stuff and yeah. stuff which I consider to be more you know, kind of crucial for the ummah going forward. I don't want to be bogged down in these endless Sunni Sunni Shia debates. I used to talk about it a lot on my social media. But I've stopped for many years now. I don't really talk about Syria as well because that is somewhere where people have taken entrenched positions. No one's going to change their mind anymore, and it just it just leads to a you know a shouting match rather and people scoring points rather than actually arriving at a solution. So I think Syria. I, I would say on Syria that I was right right from the start. I, I opposed the war. People accused me of opposing the war simply because of the Iran connection, but I opposed it simply because I know the Middle East quite well. And I knew what was going to happen. Can I you just knew, quickly say which yeah. countries you've reported from? Well, I lived in, obviously I lived in Qatar for several years, but I, I have been to every single uh, country in the Middle East and a report from there either as a tourist or as a, as a journalist. Okay, as a journalist, from yeah. on top of my head, you were there at Tahrir Square. So Tahrir Square, obviously in Libya, Gaza and... Lebanon? Yeah, Lebanon Iraq. twice during the wars there. Iraq, Iraq uh, during the American occupation, yes, so... So I used to do a lot of war reporting. I don't consider myself a war reporter now because I haven't done it for several years. But I have been to several war zones. And I know what the Middle East is. I think, and I would say this is another criticism maybe that I have of you, is that I think, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you're a little bit naive when it comes to the Muslim world. And I think a lot of British, British Muslims are. Because we have, a lot of British Muslims, they don't speak... Um, they don't speak Arabic, for instance. So when an Arabic person comes over, a dissident from a certain country, and they speak beautiful Arabic, they're wearing the jalabiyah, big beard, mashallah, 
you fall for what they say. Not just you, but a lot of British, British Muslims. I'm not saying they're lying, but they're presenting a version of the truth. If you go to any Muslim country, Arab country in particular, I know the Arab world very well. I don't know the uh, South Asian world so, so well, despite the fact that I uh, come from Sri Lanka and my wife's Pakistani. Uh, but but um, the Arab world, a lot of these countries are very mixed populations. So you have secularists, leftists, Islamists, so-called Islamists, minorities. And that's why I knew that the rebel groups, the Islamist rebel groups, weren't going to win in Syria because it's such a diverse population. But they nearly did. Well, you can argue that. Iran was always going to support Bashar al-Assad. So was Russia. It was a red line drawn in the sand. That's why I knew 500,000 people were going to die. And it does go, it does, it does stick in my throat a little bit when a lot of the commentators on Syria have consistently been wrong from day one, yet they're still considered respected commentators on Syria. And that, I watch it, but I stay quiet. Did it frustrate you when I used to be invited to talk about Syria? A little bit. I thought you didn't have the right to talk about it. Okay. Because you haven't been there, you don't know about it. Okay, so let, let, me, let me just explain. Let me, let me just explain or address uh, the thing about your, your claim, your caricaturing of me as naive, yeah? Um, 100%. My experience as a journalist is incomparable to yours. I've never reported in a foreign country, hmm. period. So that, that already on. Should we just stop the conversation? Now? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but what I would humbly say is that does it require you to spend time in a particular land? No, but when you're Ummat al Wahid, as in you're, you are a Muslim in Morocco and the affairs of the Muslims of Indonesia should be as much as you yours. You talk in a general sense, of course. No, but, but the point is that I feel that my outlook. Right. I mean, from an English secular point of view, I would be described as a pan-Islamist. Yeah, I want Islamic unity. I want Islamic dominance. Mm. I want Allah's deen to prevail over this whole world, as He has said, and as the Prophet ﷺ has said. So, therefore, my worldview and the pol and the way I understand politics, I totally understand the multi complexities that exist. What you just described in the Arab world exists in the Mus in Pakistan, Bangladesh. Mm. You get secularists, you get liberals, you get nationalists, you get quote unquote Islamists. Then you mm. got a whole spectrum of what Islamists are. You got Salafi Islamists, Diyabandi Islamists, um, Jihadi Islamists. Uh, then you got the likes of Hizb Tahrir, Muslim Brotherhood. You got a plethora of mm. different complexities and players, right? And in most cases, they're not. It's always the Islamists that are not actually the main key players. Would you agree? Yeah, it depends yeah. what the country is. But yeah, 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 but I mean, with the exception to, let's say, Tunisia, Egypt and these kind of places, generally speaking, it's the deep state which is run by the military and, mm. and, and, and multi-corporate tycoons and these kind of people. I just feel that if we do not, if we detach our worldview or the kind of worldview that we want to see from our theology, we may delve into a worldview that's not in line with our tradition. Possibly, but I think there is a room within an Islamic framework for tactics and using common sense. And I always felt that the Syrian war, right from the beginning, uh, left the realms of common sense and delved into madness. Because, because of the differing groups, I knew that the Islamists couldn't win. You know, it wasn't, they weren't gonna win and it was gonna be a prolonged war. So many people were gonna die, millions of refugees. And right at the start, I thought, is that worth a war? And that's why I was against it fundamentally. Not to protect Iran, not to protect Hezbollah or all these things I've been accused of, simply because I knew this would be a disaster for the Ummah, which would poison relations between the Ummah for generations and would bring no good. That was the reason why I opposed the Syrian war. 
and I was right. Do you do you do you feel that many Sunnis? I'm not saying many. I'm talking in the millions. Uh, they took a particular affinity with the Syrian conflict mm. because of its religious significance in scripture and Possibly, end of times. Possibly, but it's not. I, I know that's not. It's not 100, percent isn't it? We don't know what those hadiths mean. Whether all of them are authentic, well, but, no, but, no, but the, the significance of a sham. The yeah. significance of a sham. This is why people. They, they 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 gravitated towards supporting the rebels and stuff like this and and, and do you think the sectarian element of Bashar being Alawite he should be of course be there's lots there's a lot of blood spilt you know by the the regime 100 percent I'm not here to defend Bashar Assad no way I wouldn't do that ultimately I've got to face my lord you yeah, know? yeah and that is the most important thing to me not to please this faction or the yeah other yeah faction. of course um, but yeah so what was the question when so, I'm so the question, question I'm saying is that did it come as a surprise to you mm. that many Sunnis did or at least to begin with. Now that uh, now yeah. many many now many acquire. No, the... It was obvious. It was obvious what was going to happen. In a way, I think it was outside players. Maybe the West knew that it was going to happen as well, and egged on certain rebel groups, 100%. financed them absolutely because yeah. they knew what was going to happen. Yeah. They they knew that there was going to be a quagmire and a disaster here, which would bog down several powers in the region they didn't like, and that was their aim. And we fell right into the trap. That's my position on Syria. But I would say Saudi Arabia. I believe in slow change ultimately. I don't really believe in quick revolutions because I think they, they don't you, work. You once did though, right? Well, I think the Iranian revolution was probably the only example in recent Muslim history where a revolution actually worked. Otherwise, um, through my, yeah, it's through my kind of, in Libya, for example, I got very caught up with the rebel groups there. I reported from their side. Now I kind of regret it because I think Libya is just a mess. The Benghazi guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Saudi Arabia is a state which I oppose, you know, and it, to my core I oppose it, but I would never call for an armed uprising in Saudi Arabia because it would lead to a civil war and lots of people would die. And that's why I always say things have to happen slowly, maybe over 100 years, we might not see it. I would say the only place in the world where I would say that armed uprising is legitimate would be Palestine. Well, of course, I think we're definitely in agreement with that. Um, our working relationship. Right. I um, want to ask you one more question. Is oh, that right? Right. Sorry. Yeah, of course. Ask me more. Other people, I'm always putting this into the mouth of a friend tell me that you're really vain. That you you have to it's the way you dress, your hairstyle, your sharp clothes. I mean not today obviously, but your sharp clothes. And you 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 feel like you need to be really popular. Like you want to be this Muslim hero. Um <laughs> I look after myself. <laughs> um I'm well groomed. Um I think it's Part of the prophetic tradition to wear the best clothes and to present and project uh, a very positive and and, and, and empowering um, uh, uh, presentation of Islam and Muslims. I'm not going to go onto TV looking like a tramp. I'm not going to go on. I'm not. I'm not going to go onto TV looking scruffy. So people. So, so if people, if many within this country already have a conception of what. A smelly, dirty muzzy is. <laughs> I'm not going to go and perpetuate that stereotype on TV. I'm going to look my best, dress my best, and yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, I'm well groomed. With regards to vanity, uh, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala protect me from this. Um, I, I'm not going to unequivocally say that I've not fallen into this. Um, between 2017 to 2018, I purposely took a sabbatical away from TV engagement because I feared at one point that you're coming on TV too much on mainstream outlets. Mm. Um, maybe what you're doing is not for the sake of Allah, but for your own ego. So I actually stepped away for a year. And I rejected all interviews from CNN, from Sky, from BBC. And I, initially, I didn't like it. I, I was just raring to go. Um, but then I realized that this is good. It's good tarbiyah. 
Um, so yes, there was a point in my life where I thought to myself, are you doing this for the sake of Allah and Islam and the mm. Ummah? Or are you doing this to build a particular profile of yourself? One um, thing good I would say is that I think Muslims need that confidence. When, when we see our spokespersons, I won't name names, but when we see a lot of our spokespeople on TV, they come across as very wet and moderate, always trying to please you know, the mainstream. Whereas I think when you go on TV, you do project that confidence that Muslims need to see. I, I have to, because I, look, at the, at the, and, then, and then I consulted some scholars and I said, look, this is the kind of internal conflict that I'm having. I feel at times that maybe I'm not doing this for the right reason. One of my scholars, who I'm not going to name by name, um, he said that, look, this could also be from shaitan. Shaitan can come to you and say, hey, you're doing this for your ego. You're doing this not for the right reason because he does not want you to go and carry on what is generally seen as good work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, I took a, a year out. But I think those who have less hair than me are jealous of the fact <laughs> that I take care of my hair. Um, and the fact that I dress well, uh, maybe a, a cue to maybe invest in a new suit. Um, but if you look at many of my interviews, I wear this one um, tweed blazer all the time. And it's one of my favorite blazers, and I wear it in most of my mm. interviews, right? Um, I, yes, I look after my hair, most of which is not here now because of COVID 19. Uh, but no, I, I don't think I, 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 I am. Are uh, you impetuous? Are you, are you, do you get wound up by your mates and you've got to act? I, I feel sometimes, because obviously we're on the phone a lot, I feel sometimes you've had a discussion <laughs> with your mates in a WhatsApp group, they've wound you up over something, and you're just burning to put a story out. You don't check the facts necessarily. And you just, you just, sometimes you don't, you don't, you don't think before you act. Russia, you did tell me you were going to come out with these, uh, <laughs> these shots. Um, no, um, look, 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 yes, uh, yes and no. Yes in the sense that if something's happened yeah. and it's of a time sensitive nature and it also happens to be an area of great passion for me. Yeah. Yes. And I know you said to me, did he hold your horses before you go out and do anything? And I admit. Alhamdulillah, I said to my wife even yesterday that had Rosh not been the guy he was and you had not been the woman you were, many of the greatest partnerships I have in my life would not have worked out because of the kind of person I am. Right? Mm -hmm. So I needed a cool, level-handed, uh, someone with vast experience to be a business partner, mentor and editor. That's why I will still refer to you as a friend and a mentor. In the same way, if my wife was a fiery extrovert character like me, I probably would have been divorced in six years. So the, 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 the beauties and blessings that Allah has given me in my life is that people who balance me out, mm. right? But do my friends rile me up? Not they do, man. They poke no, you. They no, 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 they, they don't. You. But then it's a strategic poke. They yeah, know that yeah. they may have a friend who works for Five Pillars and therefore, you know, if, if our interests align, that there may be a strategic reason to get a story out. But are you telling me that's never happened to you? No, of course it has. But has it never happened to you? I just think I, I, I also think as five pillars, we got a lot of enemies, haven't we? And it's good to have enemies because that if you have no enemies, you stand for nothing. But we have good friends as well. Yeah, we do a hundred hundred percent. But sometimes I think you know, let's not go out of our way to create more enemies unnecessarily. Sometimes let's bite our tongue, do things behind the scenes. I think that's that's sensible oh, as well. Fair enough. No, no, but definitely look. Um, I, I think there is a lot of fire in my belly, um, and 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 that is. Born due to my own background as how I was raised as a child, right? Mm. Uh, for those of you who have watched the podcast, we've rerouted with uh, Musa Adnan and, and, and other times. I mean, I, I've said, I mean, I was permanently expelled from school. Um, you know, for many years, I was part of a gang culture. Um, you know, um, I've, I've had many uh, runnings with, 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 with the authorities. I mean, I, I, you know, whilst obviously still being 
academically bright, trying to be a good Muslim, etc. I, I had a conflicting life for many years, uh, and that's a part of who I am. So yes, I, I agree with something that you said, but I think it's reflective of my upbringing, my background. Um, it's something that I, I personally also feel that I have quieted down and matured a lot. I mean, if you were to compare, let's say, the Osama Hassan debate or the Eva Bartlett debate uh, to now, mm. there's a lot of difference. I mean, even when I did the Piers Morgan one um, last year, the people were like, Prof, have you changed? You're so quiet and timid. Mm. And so I, I think I have matured. Uh, I think I have piped down a bit. Um, but the kind of positive projection and the empowerment projection, we have to do that. At a time when we have so many organisations and leaders who are not doing that no. Who are not reflecting the sentiments that Muslims should have yeah. For 19 years we've been apologising, we've been condemning We've been going there with like Oliver Twist with the begging bowl mm. and, and just seeking acceptance after acceptance And it's not made our situation better, it's made it worse So in light of that, I feel a positive empowering projection is good um, And it will happen Vanity is something that we should all make uh, seek Allah's uh, protection from but I'm not going to apologize for looking after myself, I'm looking good um, Of which my looks are deteriorating, I mean I've got dark eye bags and stuff So I'm not once the, the shiny gleaming guy I once was I mean look at you, you haven't even got any eye bags And you're, you're approaching 50 oh, I've got grey hair Yeah, well, yeah. not much of it hmm. Is there any more questions? No, let's move on Alhamdulillah, wow, that, 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 that part of the podcast took a lot more time than I thought it was MashaAllah Our working relationship, right? Um We've been together with Five Pillars for six, six and a half years I always crack the joke uh, that Roshan refused me two or three jobs um, Which actually shows a strength to our relationship The fact that I applied for a job, you made me do a written test, I think I didn't get that job There was a, there was a, a Bahrain project for Press TV, I didn't get that job There was another one, I didn't get that job um, And I remember you said to me, whilst I like you as an individual, there were simply better candidates, mm. right? At and the time, yeah, that at was the true. time, yeah, and, and and that was something which I and you actually said to me, go and do work at the local paper, mm. go, and I did. I was at Better Show on Sunday for two years, where I learned most of the skills that I know, yeah. the court reporting, local council reporting, all that stuff, that all the NCTJ stuff yeah, to yeah. put into practice. It was Yvonne Ridley who put us in touch together, mm. um, and uh, naturally we have strengths and weaknesses and differences. Yeah. So I will ask you as briefly as possible, um, how do you? Perceive our working I think you know Obviously I've worked With a lot of people I, I'd say that You know Maybe this is the best Working relationship I've had In my in my life You know And uh, I think Most of the time I've had to manage people I don't really have to manage Apart from uh, Certain occasions Where I, I put a veto Yeah Because I'm the editor But I don't I don't I, th I don't think I I don't think our working relationship, I think most of the time it's collaborative. Yeah. We run stories by each other. I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. Um, in certain extreme circumstances, I'll pull out the veto. Yeah. But it happens very, very rarely. Uh, I think, as you say, we have strengths and weaknesses. I'm a terrible fundraiser. I hate asking people for money. I just like, if you know, I'll oh, give me some money. All right then, you know. And uh, yeah, so you're a good fundraiser. Uh, I think you got a lot of motivation, drive. I don't need to do any of that stuff. I don't need to motivate you because you're self-motivated. You, you're a workaholic, I think. You know, you're on it constantly. You're thinking of five pillars constantly. You're more focused on it than I am, I think. Um, because, because I've got, you know, a big family, uh, you know, and five pillars doesn't pay that well. Yeah. I need to freelance as well. Yeah, of course. And therefore, um, my attention sometimes is elsewhere. And not on five pillars, you know, seven days a week, whereas I think your focus is on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Alhamdulillah, I think 
I think I'm a better writer than you, but I think you're a better um, TV performer than I am. Okay, uh, so and so I mean, for the sake of for the sake of our viewers and listeners, I mean, I think it should be clearly stated that for at least four to five years, mm. we did this for no money. Yeah. Absolutely. We did this for free whilst working in other jobs. We just broke even, didn't take a salary, yes. just barely covered our expenses. Barely covered our expenses. Yeah. And um, even now, um, I mean, um, I mean, you, yes, you're, you're, take, you're now taking a salary, but even then in, compared to, it's a very humble, if not under the annual average salary. Yeah. And you're making it up elsewhere. I'm having to do consultancy work elsewhere. Mm. I buy and sell cars with my brother. I buy and sell Bitcoin. So mm. this, we're still doing things to get our income from yeah. elsewhere. So I think it's important for our viewers and listeners to know that the work that we did for Five Pillars, at least from 2013 to 2016, those four, three, four years, we did it for absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, Even more than that, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean... For, probably for the first five years. First five years, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, until we first introduced, can we use some of this for our work-related expenses, right? Yeah. Um, another thing which I will have to say is that um, I have definitely got Five Pillars into more trouble than you. <laughs> Um, from a legal point of view, mm. um, from a social media point of view. And I think that's something I'm so grateful that you are here for. Um, because uh, I remember when we had that little ding-dong, that, that near, very close ding-dong with Sarah Khan, mm. as simply because I forgot to put the word alleged. Or something like that, wasn't it? This is the uh, extremism czar who yeah, tried yeah. to sue us, basically. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and alhamdulillah, she, did, she didn't manage to do that. But the point is, it was literally such a minor blip, an oversight from me, which, caught, which, which got us into that trouble. Mm. Um, so I have to admit that having you there, overseeing and proof, proof, proofing these pieces, especially those where we have to, uh, you know, unfortunately out uh, certain individuals, organizations, you know, there's huge legal implications yeah. to it. Um, now, obviously, you know, those were our strengths. Do you see any, identify any weaknesses? In you or, or me? Just our working relationship. You know, Alhamdulillah, I think it's really good. I mean, we occasionally, obviously anyone that's going to work with each other every day for seven years, they're going to fall out occasionally. They're going to have little tiffs. I think I can remember one time where we didn't talk to each other for a few days because we had a, a bit of a Barney. And it was over <sighs> Syria. Was it over Syria? And I think in six and a half years, that was the one time we had a little break. Yeah. And otherwise, we've we've had tiffs. I mean, we probably had one about a week ago. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't last, you know, and we're both mature enough to move on okay. and look at the bigger picture. So, you know, I think, um, alhamdulillah, I think I'm more of a reporter than you. I'm more willing, yeah. if a story breaks, I'll go there. If it's in Birmingham or Manchester, whereas I think you like, you like the home comforts a bit more and you like to do things at home and um, you, you obviously love your podcasts and your TV work. <laughs> no, but that's something that we have over others as well, you know. <laughs> But it's like, I'm, I'm trying to say, whereas I'm less into the on-camera work, I used to be really into it. I used to have to, have to as I got older, I don't need the on-camera work so much. Hey guys, just to clarify, since Roshan has just made me seem like a home guy, yeah, there, there is real work that gets done at home, right? Can, can you clarify that, please? There is work that gets yeah, done at course, home. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, look, managing contributors, uploading content, preparation for university talks, fundraising. Yeah. Fundraising has made my hair go white. Yeah? yeah, there is some stressful aspects of my work which I like to, uh, you know, I think Roshan is much better at doing. Alhamdulillah. Let me ask you something. If there was one thing you could change about me, if you had the choice, gunpoint choice, to change, say, right, Didi, I really would like you to change this thing about you. What would it be? I think it was. I think it'd be. A, it would be the take a step back before you act or say something. 
if there's one thing, it would be that. And I do acknowledge over the years, you've got better at that. Mm. Still, sometimes I think, in my own mind, I'm thinking, right, someone's wound him up, he's got angry, and he needs to act. And I just wish he'd just take a few deep breaths before he acts. That's the only thing I would say, yeah. And that's actually that's actually in line with the prophetic advice as well, I guess. Mm. If, if you are angry, sit down. Don't act out of anger. Yeah, yeah. Because I've done it myself, and I still do it now. It's always the worst, you know. Is that famous story? I think it was in the Battle of um, um, Imam Ali was fighting one on one with a, a champion from the other side. Yeah. And the the champion uh, spat at him. Yep. Yep. And he didn't kill him because he said I would have killed him. He killed him later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he didn't kill him at that point because he would have killed him out of anger. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, if there was, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily change anything about you. Because um, because changing changing something fundamentally about your character, your personality will have an effect on how our relationship would be, and the fact that it's mm. worked so well so far is testimony that maybe not many things need changing in terms of our working relationship. Um, however, I would probably just say that when you get complaints about me, uh, mainly if not entirely from the Shia community, <laughs> uh, is that you articulate my defenses. Better. I do, hundred yeah? percent. I do. Uh, so yeah. so that that would be the only thing. I have had people, by the way. In the early days, um, saying, sack Dilly, get rid of him, he's poison. Literally, it's been that bad. It's been that bad. And heaping pressure on me. And in the early days, perhaps I could have done it, you know? Now I wouldn't think of doing it, obviously. It never crossed my mind once to yeah. do that. It never <laughs> crossed my mind. Uh, and I terminated those relationships I had with those people rather than Terminating your relationship Is it fair to also say that Some of the people that came to you With those suggestions That you After some time Realised Their own toxic mindset And inconsistency Absolutely 100% I have nothing to do with these people anymore When, when it came to holding you to account On some unfair things as well Yeah absolutely I think um, I think anyone Ultimately We represent the Muslim community So there will be pressures From the Muslim community And we listen to advice We take You know Shura but at the same time, we're an independent organization and we can't be bought, we can't be pressured, even though there is that pressure. And, um, and, and, we've, people, had, and we've had offers. And people need to know that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to this part of the podcast because it's now dealing with haters and critiques. Five pillars. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think, I mean, I've dealt, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you remember, Roshan, the first six to 12 months of Five Pillars, the 2013-2014 phase, there was so many accusations. It's a front for Hezbo Tahrir. It's a mm. front for Iran. Oh, these are a bunch of Salafis. These are a bunch of Shia sympathizers. There were so many accusations. And those accusations actually ended up being the fact that, okay, since we are supposed to be a front for so many different groups, that means we must be doing something right. Do you, do you remember those early accusations? Yeah, yeah of course Yeah But alhamdulillah It took 6 to 12 months For people to realise Okay these guys are somewhat consistent They they they, they don't necessarily Pick one particular group Over the other No and, they'll all, and they also don't discriminate Towards calling out Groups and individuals From various persuasions So I think alhamdulillah We dealt with that But a new kind of Accusations have been levied Against us Right um, That whilst we claim To be non-sectarian uh, we are partisan uh, And what I mean by that is that There's a particular kind of Muslims Which we don't really like or go after mm. um, So I'm going to just go over some of the lists And we'll address them Yeah. So we claim to be non-sectarian and partisan But we are 
because we go after progressive liberal Muslims uh, or, or, or those who project that kind of uh, you know mindset. Um, we're equivalent to the Daily Mail and we regularly apply tabloid style journalism. Um, why as a Muslim news outlet do we cover celebrity news? Um, we uh, cover news late. Mm -hmm. huh? um, do we have any scholarly guidance or, or people advising us? Um, what is our gripe with Muslim charities? Uh, and so many. Yeah, yeah and, and, and and last but not least, is it just me and you who make up five players, or is there okay. a team behind us? So let's deal with the first one. Are we partisan? In the in in the sense that we go after certain people, or is there a certain type of Muslims which we see as problematic or don't give fair yeah, coverage sad, to? Yes, obviously. Look, I think we have Islamic red lines. Um, Anyone that goes against <laughs> the Quran or the Hadith, whatever, uh, you know, we're going to go after them. So, especially if they have influence over the community, and anyone who is politically out of step with the mainstream as well on issues like Israel Palestine or whatever, um, or British imperialism, then they're fair game as well. And I think most reasonable people will understand that. But within that framework, no, we're not. Yeah, so just, so I mean, I mean, just to add to that, um, basically, if people want to accuse us of partisanship or sectarianism, on the on on the basis of how we defend what we regard as normative Islamic values, then yeah, you can claim that we're partisan. In the same way that Sarah Khan and the Quillian Foundation have accused us of being Islamist extremists or whatever it may be. The point here is that if there's Normative Islamic values, beliefs and concepts via consensus have been there for 14 centuries That we're not about changing that And we're not about giving platform to people who want to change that for nefarious We're about else. defending it, we're aggressively defending yeah, it as well Absolutely yeah. So we are non-sectarian from the perspective that we do not discriminate towards Sunni and Shia And the various groups within mainstream uh, Sunnism or, or Shiaism So for example, you will find scholars and you will find du'at uh, and activists from Brelvi, Sufi, Diobandi, Salafi, Muslim Brotherhood, Hizb Tahrir, and all the other various groups because they are mainstream and they are regarded within mm -hmm. the mainstream of the community. But if ever there was a scholar or a group from these groups did what the progressive liberals did, we would call them out. Absolutely. So, so we're consistent in that regard. Um, are we the equivalent of the Daily Mail? And, and, and why do we employ, um, employ tabloid S styles? We want people to read our articles and watch our content. That's why. Um, we are responsible journalists. So what you will see on Five Pillars is the truth. And it's been fact-checked. I mean, obviously, we sometimes make mistakes. But if we do, we'll correct them and we'll own up to it. But we seek to... I mean, there's this uh, adage in journalism, educate inform and entertain yeah so that's what we're seeking to do we are we do see it as entertainment we also see it as education and we're trying to marry the two things i guess uh yes we do do sensationalist headlines or we stretch it but we never lie but ultimately what's the point of doing any of this stuff if no one's going to watch it so if you want me to write a phd thesis then fine, you know, I might get some brownie points in the ivory towers of academia, but no one's going to read it. We want people, we want to be educational, we want to reach people, influence people, and we also seek to be popular, but not at the expense. I mean, if we really wanted to be popular, we'd do porn or sports or whatever, but that's obviously completely hurrah, right? And not sports, but, but you know, that, that's what is really popular on the internet. 
Um, so we have the Islamic red lines, but within those Islamic red lines, we definitely seek to be popular. Mm. So I just want to add to that as well. I mean, I mean, I've, I've explained this to a number of people that look. So as long as we're not distorting the truth, mm. we're not hiding the truth, we're not purposely uh, and intentionally reporting falsehood. Um, Tabloidesque style as a means, as purely employed as a style, yeah. is something that is permissible, because. The red lines of what is haram is lying, withholding the truth, yeah. defending falsehood, uh, and, and obviously slandering and backbiting. Now, backbiting is something, obviously, riba is something which your brother will dislike it, even if he said it to his face. But then, brothers and sisters, just to, just to, to uh, educate you all just on the kind of Islamic principle of all the challenges that we have when we report news. We all know that there's, there's a rich concept of maslaha and mafsada, harms and benefits, right? And sometimes on some stories, we've had to make that judgment call, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Public interest for the ummah to know a particular piece of information. What will this piece of information do? Will it cause more harm or will it be of benefit? And in some cases, we've suppressed stories because we've made that judgment call that this will actually be more harmful to the community and cause more fitna. And other times, we've been like, no, this needs to be reported. Um, so the point I want to make is that tabloidesque style or the way we word certain headlines or intros is something that's entirely stylistic and entirely within the realms of Islamic permissibility. So as long as we're not transgressing those lines and rights of other Muslims in lying, slandering, distorting truths, withholding information and, and, and falsehood. Um, and it's something which I think, and I, and I don't appreciate it when it comes from those who have little to no experience within media. Mm. Um, you know, if someone from, and very rarely do I get people from Media, and I'm not talking about YouTubers, I'm talking about people who've worked in newspapers, people who've worked in TV stations, people who've worked in current affairs news. That then they're, they're not the ones that come to us and complain about mm. it's, it's people who have a gripe with us. But there's also others who sincerely say, Look, guys, you know, the way you worded that headline was a bit, you know, it, it, it wasn't entirely accurate. Or, but I just have to say, Look, wording and the way we word the headlines and stuff, or the images that we use sometimes, it's, 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 it's stylistic. Right and um, as long as it's not haram, they can't blame us. Yeah, I mean, you know. I mean, I mean, some, I mean, some, a handful of people have have kind of said, look, you guys are kind of delving into the areas of slander and backbiting, right? Because just because you guys are following a journalistic, a Western journalistic ethos of 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 to educate, to inform, and yeah. to account, yeah. uh, and public interest, etc., there's also Islamic red lines, and I would humbly say that we do follow those Islamic red lines because we have bases of harm and benefit. We have uh, concepts of, of of public interest in what would be better for the Muslim community and what would be harmful for them. We do weigh up all these issues before we publish anything, you know. Yes, you know, and that's another. And thing what you won't see on a website is clickbait. Often you see you click on something, the title, and then when you read the story, it's completely underwhelming. Like Lad Bible or Sports simply, Bible. Simply, simply, so you'll click on that. We never do that. If you click on our stories, you will see a genuine story. Absolutely, absolutely, and and. I, I think another thing that's important uh, for, for our readers and generally speaking the Muslim community to understand is that we 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 do exhaust many things before we report certain kind of stories, yeah. isn't it? We give people the opportunity to comment, we give people we give them nasiha to stop what they're doing, we advise them against certain approaches and, and, and let's face it, we're the only journalists running a Muslim news website. You know, so we go through a journalistic process. You know, and I don't want to name names, but, but the, we go for the, the others, the others, I'm, others, they, I'm not cussing them. They all have their roles and they all do a good job. Some are more popular than us, et cetera, et cetera. 
but they don't do journalism the way we do journalism. We're doing journalism. That's what that's what makes us unique out of everyone else. And I, and and I and, and I will still stand by this unless there comes a time where there are other types of five pillars or other outlets like five pillars that unfortunately you we are the only thing here. Mm. And and whether you like everything or something or nothing um, you know we're here and we and you the community needs us as much as we need the community. Um, but this whole kind of tableau desk, Daily Mail stuff, you know, I, I think it's an unfair caricaturing of who Five Pillars are. I remember Mahdi Hassan once compared us to The Spectator. I remember Abu Isa Niyatmatullah many, many years ago. Yeah. Even though he, he, he's he, fine with us now. He's fine with us now, alhamdulillah. I mean, may Allah bless him. I mean, um, that very, very uh, good, the early days, he compared us to The Daily Mail. Um, and, and and others have made that, and I don't think it's fair. And I think no, it isn't fair. I, I think the, ti- the, the 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 test of time has proven that we're not that, right? Um, so it is what it is. Um, you said entertainment. Now, entertainment for someone who has very boring social activities. <laughs> yeah? um, uh, you know, you, why do we cover celebrities? What, what, what do you do that's interesting, by the way, in your spare time? I well, play, go to the gym like I every go day. Gym, or? I play PlayStation. Play PlayStation. I play Articular. Uh, how old are you? PlayStation. I mean, so what? I mean, I'm, my, I'm, my, uh, my, eight, my nine-year-old kids into PlayStation. And I will play with my oh. nine-year-old nephew with PlayStation, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> But I just, I'm wondering what I'm missing out on here. This like great lifestyle that you're leading. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the diversity of my Netflix programs. All right. Uh, yeah. Sorry, God. I'm just okay, having that. No, no, it's fine. Stick. It's fine. Um, so, so covering celebrity news, people are going to kick off because of my big toes. You know, people. You know, people complained about that. My feet, but yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so, so covering celebrity news. Why do we cover stuff like? Amir Khan's gossip or, Tor- or Torrey's uh, parking t- speeding ticket and, you know, <laughs> and stuff like this. Well, I mean, the Torrey one was controversial because people said that um, it was a private sin. I don't know whether I should explain it again, digging it all up. But there was a story about Yahya Torre. He got drink driving, basically. Uh, and a lot of people said we shouldn't have covered that story. The reason why we covered it is because it became a public issue. Uh, and also, I think when you get behind a wheel and you've got alcohol in your system you could literally kill somebody. And I'm somebody who doesn't like the way Muslims drive, you know, especially those that have got kids. It's incredibly reckless, it's stupid, it's foolhardy, and it leads to people dying, you know? So I take that stuff very seriously. Um, So that's the reason why we cover that story. Amir Khan and others, you know, I would have no problem never covering Amir Khan again on the website, but people like him and people people talk about him and we we are there to, Reflect what the Muslim community is talking yeah, about as well, and our motto is "What are Muslims thinking?" Exactly, yeah. But They're that's, thinking about Armakan all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 one of the counter arguments would then be that five pillars in in these instances, you guys, you don't actually want to change the intellectual mindset of the Muslim. You want to perpetuate and just add to the kind of mixture of both, isn't it? We want to reflect what the Ummah is, its reality. But also, of course, we want to steer them in a certain direction. And that direction is simply Islam, you know? Um, why do we cover news late? Or some news late? Well, because we haven't got a massive staff. I guess that is the honest answer. Uh, we do our best. We're working on this night and day. Mm. This is our, you know, this is our life, basically. Um, and sometimes there's too many stories in one day. You know, the... Obviously, we're focused mainly on British Muslim news, but we cover at least half of our output is the wider Ummah. I mean, how many realistic stories, big stories are going to break every day? Probably about 10 or more. You know, we simply can't cover them all with the resources we have. We have to prioritize. 
sometimes we get sick. Sometimes there's no good reason, you know, but ultimately we have to get to a position where we're covering all the main news that needs to be covered, but uh, it can't necessarily happen overnight. I know one thing that you used to say to me uh, is that, look, what can Five Pillars truly add to a breaking news story relating to the Middle East or the Muslim world mm. when the likes of Al Jazeera yeah, and, and BBC and Sky and these guys, they've already covered it. It's already been plastered. It's already done the rounds. What could we possibly add to it? Would you then accept what I've counted to you sometimes that just at a face value, we need to be seen to be covering it? If it's a huge story, yes, definitely. Or cover it from another angle, maybe an opinion piece or some angle the mainstream hasn't covered. But ultimately... I, I personally um, prioritize value over popularity because we know very well if we stick a story on there, sometimes it, we know it's going to go viral, but we don't do it all the time simply because it doesn't add anything to anybody's... Should we give the most recent example of the pigeon? Yeah. <laughs> the spy pigeon, yeah. The spy pigeon. Yeah, so, 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 so India accused Pakistan of sending a spy pigeon. And, 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 I, and I'll regularly send Roshan stories and he'll be like, this will be popular. This yeah, will do the yeah, rounds. Yeah, yeah. This has viral potential. And sometimes you'll be like, Diddy, look, this really has no news value. Right? Um, but I don't want to be clickbait. I just want to, I want to be popular, but I also want to add value. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, Islam at the beginning was not a popular message, right? And you've got to build up those foundations. And, um, yeah, I just don't want to put stories on there for the sake of it, simply to get the clicks. But, but, but then how do you feel then when, when the kind of like the stories like things relating to prevent? Um, and, you know, kind of really like, you know, political stories about, um, you know, Zionist lobby groups yeah. and, you know, and... and, and They're so, popular, but the prevent ones aren't. The prevent stories aren't that popular. No. Not all Islamophobia stories are popular unless it's of a sister being attacked yeah, or something yeah, like that. So, yeah, yeah. so, how, so, so how do you then, I mean, I mean, yes, you want to build foundation, you want to build a solid audience around certain principles. But if people are not engaging with a particular kind of story, what's the... Well, sometimes you just have to persevere. If you know it's right, you just have to persevere, don't you? And the prevent thing, obviously, is state Islamophobia. But it's a bit of an... It's a tough one to write stories on, unless there's a specific example of somebody being, you know, discriminated against or put in jail or whatever because of prevent. It's a tough one uh, to talk about the, the ideology of prevent. That is what's not popular. But it's so important that Muslims are educated by this because their lives are affected by it, you know? But uh, we still haven't cr cracked that nut. Yeah. Um, but we persevere with it because we know that it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, um, would you also agree that uh, one of the reasons why at times we are late in covering some news is because we employ and exhaust certain processes that others don't? Absolutely. I did a story on Muslim aid, um, I think, you know, a couple of months ago. The Zakar story. The Zakar, no, uh, not the uh, Muslim aid. No, it was it was basically uh, the... CEO of Muslim Age, Hagi oh, yes. Malik, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was kind of an internal revolt against him uh, amongst the staff. And I probably spent about six weeks on that story, uh, chipping away at different angles, because obviously we didn't want to get the story wrong. We Let me just pause it. That's, that, that's crazy. So, so someone who's watching this would say, how does a 900 word article take mm. six weeks? Because you have to do so many checks. Is this information, is this document that I've been sent, is it true? Is it valid? You know, you got to do those checks. Because people will try and hoodwink you or they'll sell you their side of the story, omit certain details, and then you get the story wrong, egg in your face. You've got to give other people the, the, the right to respond. You, sometimes you have to persuade people to talk to you, you know, on the record. Because uh, not everyone wants to talk to you. 
So there's that cajoling process where you're building up the contacts. And that's what makes Five Pillars unique as well. We break stories on a regular basis. We uncover stuff that no other outlet uncovers. And that's why I'm saying that we do journalism. No one else does journalism like us. I think, I, I, subhanAllah, I, I know that one of the greatest and most valued support base that we get, even though they won't do it publicly, are those from the charity sector. Um, the fact that so many of our donors are from the charity sector, mm -hmm. the very sector which we're regularly accused of, of witch hunting, right? Uh, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, so, I mean, as an editor and, and as a working journalist for many years, and you've obviously made it very clear that I have no right to talk about journalism when, no, that's not in, true. In, in, in your presence, yeah? <laughs> so so talk, let's, let's talk about some of these processes then. What kind of process, what kind of things do we, uh, you know, do we have to exhaust before breaking a story? Well, every word, I mean, every word of a 900, you know, word story, I'll go through it with a fine tooth comb. Is this factually correct? Can anyone sue us? Can anyone claim that we've not been fair to them? Et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I've already kind of explained it. You know, often... Um, we, our, do, we do get lawyers to check it. We get lawyers to check it. We are independently regulated. So, so, we, by, so, we, so we check with our regulators as well? Yeah. So it, there's, a, there's, a, there's obviously a process where we go through it ourselves yeah. with our journalistic skills. Yeah. But if it's, a, if it's a very controversial story, we'll get a lawyer to go through it. And that lawyer will say, no, that's not... Take that out, you can keep that in. And then we have a third layer of accountability, uh, which is our regulator, independent regulator, Impress, which ultimately has the power to sanction us. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, this idea that we're just sticking stories on the website with no checks and balances whatsoever is completely false. It's yeah. a lie. Yeah. And I, I pray, brothers and sisters, yeah. stop saying this. It's not true. Yeah. So, I mean, just put that into perspective, brothers, sisters, listeners, haters, lovers, supporters. You know, many of you would know that you've come to either myself or Roshan with stories. You may have emailed us with stories and we've had backlogs of hundreds of emails of stories. So many stories we don't do. Yeah, like, like not because we don't want to do, it's because we simply can't do them, right? Um, it's just not humanly possible to cover that amount of news yeah. uh, with two writers and, and let's say even five, ten contributors and freelancers which who have lived their own lives. Mm. We check the articles that we publish ourselves. We are NCTJ accredited and trained. Um, for those of you who don't know what the NCTJ is, National Certificate for the Training of Journalists. And we had to undergo certain skills. We had to qualify in those skills. So we go over the content ourselves. We read each other's content, right? We then, if it's depending on the nature of the story, we'll get our lawyers and our compliance team to check it. And we will even directly, if we have to, contact the regulators themselves. I don't think there is any outlet, there is any outlet, Muslim media outlet in the world, that goes through this check. And that's the truth. And I would be interested to know, and I would be stand corrected if someone can say, well, there is someone like you who goes through these checks. Also to add to that, and it's a point that we're going to address later on, is that we also seek scholarly guidance, right? On stories where it could be a potential big fitna, we have scholars who are close close to us, who we will name some of them later on in this podcast, um, that we consult when it comes to controversial stories that could have certain effects within the community. So please, brothers and sisters, as Roshan said, don't think that we just write stuff and stick it out. And if there's a if there's a reason for a delay on a story, it's because we are carrying out checks. So I hope that puts... And I think the viewers need to know 
that we take our roles very seriously because ultimately the community that we champion gives us money. You know, they subscribe to us. They donate to us. They take advertising space with yeah, us. Yeah, they are giving us money and that places a huge responsibility on our shoulders. Mm. It makes me feel personally very humble. Mm. Uh, it makes me double down on my work. Mm. Um, and, you know, I want to repay those donors, you know, in, in the, the work that I produce. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so, oh, well, the next thing is, do we have any scholars guiding and advising us? So, um, there have been certain stories uh, where we've had to seek scholarly advice. Um, I think one of the main ones that comes to mind is uh, last Ramadan's story about NZF, mm. right? Um, because, you know, whether, you know, mashallah, they have been and still are doing some fantastic work, right? Um, but there was a story which broke about where some of their zakah was going to some questionable and dubious individuals. And so we had to break that story, or we had to consider breaking that story. And so we had to consult scholars. Um, so without actually naming those particular scholars that we consulted for that story We have the likes of Sheikh Asrar Rashid from Birmingham Who I consult when it comes to certain stories Sheikh Dokir Ishaq from Nun Eaton who we consult for certain stories um, There's been times where I have sought advice from Sheikh Muhammad Abu Usman Abu Safiya um, Sheikh Khaitham Al-Haddad And there are others uh, whose advice we do seek Do we have a panel of scholars? No um, is this something that we're considering? Yes um, But there's also an issue here and, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this Once you start having Excessive scholarly intervention in journalism The question of independence comes into question, does it not? Absolutely Yeah. yeah? Because then the question of public interest Is now, it's now taken to a different level right? Mm -hmm. And if we have scholars Proofing and giving a green light or a red light to every single thing that's going out um, Then it, it puts us in a very difficult position, isn't it? Right? Um, so um, we are thinking about putting together a, a named panel of scholars Who will advise uh, on our work and, 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 and help us in our Islamic ethics um, But we have scholars that we advise And those were just some of the names that we have consulted uh, pertaining to some stories Also keep in mind that we don't need to The sun's mad in it Mohsin It's wild isn't it um, um, So And um, We don't need to consult scholars on every story no, Of course I mean it, It's only those stories which we know that there is a That could have a serious um, after Aftershock or something in the community So that then takes us on to Going after charities. Do you wake up in the morning with, with <laughs> no. a hit list of people to go after? No, I don't want to. I don't want to. But I get so many things in my inbox or on my WhatsApp, you know, from often people working inside charities telling me this is going on. You must report it. Most of the time we don't report it. We only report the ones that we have to report because we know we're going to get grief for it. And we know it's going to be problematic legally, etc., etc. I must admit, from my Islam channel days, uh, I did uh, several trips around the world. Africa, Asia with charities, I saw firsthand what I consider to be in complete incompetence from Muslim charities. The wastage of donors' money, I found it extremely shocking. It's always something that I keep in my mind from my own direct personal experiences. Um, but and the reality is that we only cover a story when it's a genuine story, when we can back it up, when there's evidence, and whether it's in the public interest. Um, just to add to that, I would also say that, you know, um, Muslims giving charity 
to oppressed or the, the less fortunate Muslims elsewhere is perhaps one of the only remaining connections that Muslims in the West have with their brothers and sisters mm. uh, in the Muslim world in terms of an ummatic concept. Mm. So we value the importance of charity in terms of preserving the link with the Muslim world. Yeah, um, And if that's gone, if that, because we've also protected charities. You know, I, I think oh, yeah. we, I think we're not given credit for that either. Mm -hmm. That the fact that we've protected many charities, we've supported them, we've gone after the charity commission, right? So we're regularly accused of going after charities, but people tend to forget that we've also defended charities. We've also been a platform for the work that they've done. We've also been people who have given you uh, subsidized and, and 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 discounted advertising space. People forget these things. People forget things when the the, the relationship is hunky dory and is all within their uh, you know their interests. Um, but we have helped and supported charities and raised money for them as much as we have had to account them as a result of a newsworthy story. Um, but with regards to charities, um, brothers and sisters, and even those who are from the charity sector that are listening to this or will watch this podcast, 90% um, of the stories that come from charities come from people within your own organizations. Yeah, They come from internally from your own people They're whistleblowing stories So any leaked documents, anything that we get Is from your own people um, Secondly um, We don't want to demonise A sector Which is a means for good mm. Right? There's no, jo there's no joy in trying to affect people Sadqa, Jariya or Zakah um, by, by going after charities That's not something that we, we do And Islamically would even be correct But as Roshan said Where there's a story and where there's genuine public interest And where there is a greater benefit in the community being Knowing this Then it has to be covered And just because for many years There's not been an outlet That's not held you to an account For how you manage millions of pounds mm. Of the Ummah's wealth Millions of pounds mm. I'm sorry but the job will be done And we're going to continue doing it Now I know that some critics have said to us Oh but you guys donate We're not a charity we're a private limited company by shares We've made it clear from day one That if an opportunity ever arose It's a business model right? Which relies on the support of the community That's why we sell merchandise Or we will be selling merchandise We sell advertising space We do many things We don't promise the Ummah food packs We don't say to you If you give us £10 This is now going to go to a starving widow in Yemen That's different We are very clear That the money you give us Goes towards stuff like podcasts Equipment Equipment hire our actual human hours in terms of working, journalism related costs, um, paying freelancers and contributors, and work. We, we've been quite transparent since day one, isn't it? That it will go towards admin costs, it will go towards paying consultants or subcontractors and, and, and office and all this kind of stuff. So we're, we're not promising you zakah, we're not playing with people's zakah, we're not paying with people's food packages and stuff like this. So you know, I've heard this from some people. Well, what about you guys? You guys fundraise. Well, we fundraise and we're very clear about what we're fundraising for, right? Um, we don't claim a hundred percent donation because we're not a charity, mm -hmm. right? We're telling you that if you give five pillars five pounds, your five pounds will go towards all of the potential will go towards all of these things, including salaries, right? And everything that you want to check about us, you can go to company's house. Um, but no, we don't have a hit list. And and, and and inshallah we want to wake up to a time where we have no hit list, mm -hmm. right? And even the term hit list is something that's been thrown at me. You guys have a hit list. We don't have a hit list. Yeah, there's Who's even the yeah, there's, there's, there's even a term yeah. that's called oh five pillar. These guys, 
Get five pillared. <laughs> Have you heard of that one? Yeah? yeah. These yeah. are going to get five peed. Yeah. Yeah. I even use it myself. <laughs> yeah. Now look, we don't go out to five pillar people. Yeah. Do you remember the five pillars of Islam is about our Muslim and Islamic yeah. identity? We don't yeah. go out looking to five pillaring people. Yeah. But let me just say something else about the charity sector. I know there are directors, chief fundraising officers from other charities that have come to us about other charities. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay when you want to weaponize five pillars. You want to weaponize us to, to, to go after your competitor during a live appeal because they're lying about 100% um, uh, donation policy or that they have no grassroots contacts in Idlib or in a particular war-struck area or that they're claiming that there'll be a donation match matching. We've had, if we wanted to, if we were really agenda-driven, you know, if we were real bastards, right? We would name and shame everyone. Including all those directors and finance managers that come to us with stories from big mainstream charities about other charities But we're not, because we're not fitna makers <laughs> We're not fitna makers We will just report what needs to be reported for the benefit of the community um, And I hope that puts to bed I know many will still not like this, but it is what it is um, Last criticism um, Or even a query rather Is it just me and you who make up five pillars? Or are there others who make up the Five Pillars team? Do you want to answer that? No, no, no you can answer to Well, that. obviously it's you and me full time on it. You know, sweating tears and blood. Uh, but we have several uh, freelancers we work with, contributors in terms of writing for the website. We have technical people making our videos, editing our videos. Uh, shout out to Nassim over there. Um, and uh, who else do we work with? Obviously the technical people like on the website. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. If if you thought that it was just me and Roshan doing all of this stuff, then mashallah, you'd think very highly of we're, us. We're driving it, but we yeah. have a team. Yeah, but yeah. editorially, yes, it's me and Roshan overseeing the content. But even the editorial areas is quite like delegated, isn't it? Right. Um, we have contributors. We have freelancers. Some of them are mentioned on our website. Um, we have a tech team. We have a design graphics team. We have various cameramen. Uh, Morsim from Dawa Digital, he's our podcast guy. There were other guys before him. So yes, there are many good brothers and sisters who work with us. We have our legal team. We have our solicitors who, who legal check out uh, our content. And we have a compliance team. So yes, it's not just me and Roshan. Um, there are many others who make up the Five Pillars team. And I think that video of everyone involved is well overdue, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, because people literally it'll, just... It'll be just me and you. Yeah, just me and you. <laughs> no. With different we're faces. Like, we're the team. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, and may Allah bless everyone. May Allah bless everyone who's actually helped us. And I, and I think what definitely began as me and you, yeah. and I think it was Reza, wasn't it? Who, who did our website, our website, our original website. Yeah. yeah. For, for a good two, three years, it lit, that literally was it, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we had much. And anyone that was contributing did it for free. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's still I, the case now. To that's still the case. I mean, yeah. yes, of course. And when we can pay our contributors and freelancers, we do. Uh, but now, alhamdulillah, over the years, we've had the, the 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 good folk that have come and contributed towards our organization. The people from other organizations have offered their yes. services, yeah. their consultants to assist us to take us from strength to strength. And you know, we're grateful to them. And, and alhamdulillah, I think it's a testimony to the fact that people see value in our work. Um, bringing the podcast to a close, right? I want to go over some um, claims that we make, um, um, mm. cliches and claims, um, things which we regularly use in our marketing content, uh, things which we regularly use for our fundraising content. 
Um, but I want to, perhaps between you and I, uh, get to the bottom of what these things actually mean and how true we are to these claims. Um, what makes us unique from a journalistic point of view in terms of the Muslim? I honestly think we're the only ones doing journalism. We're the only ones breaking stories. We're the only ones putting stories out there which are rigorously checked. We both have great contacts books. I think that's what really sets us apart is that... Um, both you and me, we have contacts all over the UK, all over the world, who feed us stories. I don't believe that's happening in any other organization, British Muslim online organization. Um, I also think that out of the news websites, I think we're the only ones, this is going to be a bit controversial, that really adheres to a strict Islamic line aggressively adheres to it anyway in terms of we are going to go for any basically <laughs> basically i think you and me believe as minority in this country our religion is under threat you of know course, absolutely. from a theological point of view and a political point absolutely. of view absolutely and we are determined to fight that fight so, so 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 can i just rephrase what you potentially meant i think from all the muslim news outlets that are out there those who we have a brotherly cordial relationship with and we know they do good work as well is that we are the ones that act use our journalism to go out to defend, to defend and, Islam yeah. Muslims in a proactive aggressive way I'm not saying the others are doing haram stuff but, or that we're more pious but, than you guys no uh, absolutely not so. but we'll but at the same time you know we will look for stories to defend our deen you know not just in like a positive uh, wishy-washy happy clappy way <laughs> which there's a space for as well and it's needed yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, I think yeah so when we say defending Islam Muslims, we really are. I think we're independent as well. I think that's really important for me, right from the start, to be editorially independent. Of course, there are pressures. There's no doubt about that. Um, no one's, you know, got a gun to our heads. But by dint of representing a community, that community will constantly put pressure on, on you. But ultimately, can they make us write a certain story or take a certain story off? No, they can't. Mm. I mean, just to add to the, the kind of unique element of it, I mean, um, we're both NCTJ trained, right? Um, we're both NCTJ trained. Um, we've worked for years, you obviously more years, um, in, in, in non-Muslim newspapers and mainstream mm. newspapers and outlets, right? Um, we committed ourselves to impress. That's something we didn't have to do. Uh, not at all. We didn't have to. I mean, th th in one way, it could be seen as shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. We've just given people, we've just given uh, people who don't like us uh, an excuse to go after us for an external regulator. Mm -hmm. But we committed to that. And that was a commitment to how serious we take our journalism. Um, the fact that most of our contributors are either journalists themselves or experts in their respective fields mm. and that that's how we tend to accept opinion pieces and, 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 and freelance work. The fact that we have contacts um, from uh, in occupied Kashmir, um, it, people who are in contact with people in East Turkestan and, and, and places where Muslims are having a difficult time and besides just posting raw footage, which we tend to get from other outlets as well. I mean, I'm not going to hide away from that. But we also do get grassroots stories from those areas. Mm. Yeah? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think we are unique, and, and 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 I think I think we're the only online organization which actually subscribes to a news agency as well. You know, and that's a, and that's not necessarily. I think we have this discussion about whether it's popular or not. Sometimes it's not popular as raw footage. Well, elaborate that to what you mean by news agency. Yeah, Rupley. We we subscribe to Rupley, which is basically. Um, 
it's like Reuters or Associated Press. It censors footage from all over the world and a lot of the Muslim uh, world hotspots. So that is obviously, you know, kind of uh, footage which is shot by a journalist and high quality, high quality, and only news organizations, proper news organizations like CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera, all the big ones, they'll subscribe to this footage. And that's a know? pricey subscription, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it, but we do it because we want to we want to bring the news of the Muslim world absolutely. to British Muslims. Yeah. Um, what have we achieved? I mean. You know, people will ask us this question and you'd expect, mm. I don't know, an award or certificates <laughs> or something like this. But in, 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 in those metrics... Sorry, which, I can't try to sue us. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, she dedicated six, seven pages to yeah, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. But the Tony Blair Foundation mentioned us in their report. I mean, yeah, I mean, if we take those things as accolades and awards, do we? I think what have we achieved? Look, naturally, journalism, we, we're dealing with intangibles here. You know, like a charity can say we gave this amount of, uh, you know charity to a certain group in a certain country. Our mission is to empower and educate Muslims in Britain so that they thrive as Muslims in this country, not just survive, but thrive, and also keep that connection with the wider Ummah, okay? So it's a gradual process. And I think, you know, along my career, for example, when I was starting out um, in the 1990s, I guess, um, late 1990s, Muslims were Asians. We were Asians. Our identity was Asians. Now we have a clear Muslim identity. And I think I played a part in that. If there's one thing I look back now and think, did I play uh, a part in achieving something? I would say it's that. Changing the British Muslim identity from Asian, a racial identity, to an Islamic religious identity. Um, so that's what we're about. I think in terms of what we've achieved, we hold a lot of people to account, both inside our community, charities, you know, doing dodgy things, mosques who would be playing footsie with Zionists if it wasn't for us, yeah. also holding the, the mainstream to account. Uh, we know the government doesn't like us, the Tory government. We know the Labour Party doesn't like us because we're holding them to account as well. The mainstream have consistently picked up our stories. So I think those are the sum of our achievements. Yeah, what I mean, would you I, say? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yes, absolutely. Those things plus the fact that we don't necessarily see uh, awards and official acknowledgements as 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 accolades or as metrics of success. Awards, they're all paid for anyway. Whoever gets the awards, someone's paid for it. Someone's given to his mate. These are fake ceremonies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I mean, and so be aware of what Russian just said when we hold our ceremonies. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, mean, I mean, in terms of what we've achieved, I think what we've actually done um, is that we've contributed towards a mainstream normative effort uh, to strengthen the Islamic identity of Muslims in Britain, uh, and broadly speaking, in the West. In terms of what we've done for the Muslim majority world, is that we have been an independent media voice, not just to convey and portray. Uh, their plight, but also when given an opportunity, we will also go after those who have oppressed them, mm. the Zionists, uh, the BJP leadership and their supporters here and so forth. Chinese with uh, the Uyghurs. The Chinese yeah. and the Uyghurs. Yeah. And so, so uh, and obviously the Americans and the British when they've gone to Iraq and Afghanistan. So it's not just a case of we're going to tell you that Muslims in those countries are being oppressed. It's when, when that opportunity arises, we will also go after the oppressors. And, and that's not fashionable, brothers and sisters. Just, just remember that. That's not... Something that most Muslims would see as a Forget about a noble duty It's not something that they'd want to rock the boat over mm. um, So see it as a fard kifaya that we're fulfilling for you inshallah yeah? um, 
yeah, we don't have the shiny uh, certificates of the awards, but that's not necessarily something that we're after. Um, Alhamdulillah, the fact that the Tony Blair Foundation has mentioned us in their reports, the fact that a war criminal of that um, that that level has felt the need to mention small five pages. Sarah Khan mentioned us in Parliament. She mentioned us in Parliament. She dedicated six seven pages in her book to us. This is this is the chief, the czar of countering extremism in this in this country, um, and we've had many people with a with far more funding, uh, with far more reach, and far more power and influence in the corridors of our oppressors that have seen us as a thorn on their side. Mm. And wallahi, this is a badge of honor for us. Um, it's not the certificates and the awards and the trophies we're after. It's knowing that we're giving people like this a sleepless night. The fact that one of uh, Modi's right-hand men uh, tweeted our article over Kashmir, right? And, and you know, this was a guy who went on to Vice News and said, look, Hindus in India just don't like Muslims mm. and we happily want them out of this country. He got hold of our article and he shared it. And there was a whole BJP. Remember, I showed you that the Indian government wanted to shut our... Twitter account. Did I yeah. tell you this, by the way. No, no, really. God, I kept that from you. The Indian government want to shut up. Yeah, so we got we got notification from Twitter saying that they have had complaints from Indian government agencies and they mm. want to shut our account down. I think I didn't tell you that because I don't want you to panic because you panic a lot as well <laughs> over some of the stuff that I do. So yeah, I mean, I mean, these are our accolades. These are things that we're proud of. Mm. We're proud of the fact that um, powerful Zionist lobbies. I feel the need to discuss five pillars in their private meetings and their mm. interfaith meetings, which we hear about. You think that people, you think, and when I say you, I'm talking about those who have nefarious agendas against the Muslim community. You think that you have spies and agents within within our circles. Wallahi, we have people within your, your circles as well. That's how we know about the things that you do. <laughs> so when you're doing interfaith dialogue with Muslim organizations by normalizing Zionism, know that those what's being discussed in private is coming back to us. Um, and I take it as a great honor that two and a half guys, yeah, and a team of very generous uh, staff, right, who work for us uh, either at very subsidized rates, not the rates that they charge other organizations, no, and very generous really. contributors and freelancers, yeah. that this team has managed to hold people to account and ultimately bring organizations with millions of pounds of funding to their knees. Mm. We've done that. We've done it. Um, and, and we take great pride in it. And um, we just need the community to know that. So as long as we're here, that inshallah we, we work at the behest and solely for the community and Islam and Muslims. Um, and yeah, you know, again, it comes down to you may not like our styles and, and you may not like our attitude and stuff like this. Um, but we, we, don't, we don't intentionally go after um, people within our own community unless there's a reason to go after. But you know, when you say you don't, people might not like this, we're talking about 10% of our readers or less than that. You know, but they the, are still our I'm readers. I'm very confident that 90% of our readers. They love us to bits. Roshan loves these big percentages, right? <laughs> he loves it, yeah. But the, but, but but look, at the end, we still have to address them yeah. because because yeah. They, because they make up. We and, want and, to take I, them along the journey. Exactly, and 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 if we don't have readers and supporters who don't criticize us, if we don't have haters and, and people who criticize, <laughs> we won't be able to improve. Um, and there's still huge areas of improvement, um, of course. How would we operate with little to no funding? How will we or have we? No, how would we? How would we? Yeah. Well, you'd see less stories on the website. You'd see me trying to scrape a living elsewhere. You trying to scrape a living elsewhere. Less focus on all things five pillars. Less content. That's ultimately what it would mean, yeah. And at a time when we need more content. Yeah. Would you also say that... You, so, so some people have asked me, well, you know, 
if if you if all your monthly subscriptions were cancelled, if all your advertisements were continue. Out, we continue exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But just until to, until I die, I'm I'm on five pillars. Of course. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, but it just won't be at the extent and at the level mm. at which it would be, right? No. Yeah. And 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 I think that's also another very important thing that I wanted to explain to our viewers. I mean, uh, the brother who helps us with our fundraising, mm. uh, he loves those kind of very dramatic near death. Kind of adverts, right? If you don't give us this, brothers and sisters, five pillars will collapse. The truth is, five pillars will not collapse, mm. and we will, inshallah, carry on doing what we can within the best of our abilities with little to no funding. It just means that we'll have to do what get support our families elsewhere. And just to be clear, that five pillars isn't our source income. I think that's also important for our readers and viewers and listeners to understand that, um, you know, because I know sometimes. Um, you liked some within our community like to hold people to ransom over or we support your mm. families just to be clear we do do other work to support our families because we know there may come a time where there may be little to no funding for whatever reasons um and we did five pillars with little to no funding we built five pillars mm. to little to no funding to where it was today um but we wouldn't stop would we no absolutely not no. our last my last question um, what does the future hold for Five Pillars? I know it's one of those cliche questions. Well, I think our vision was to make Five Pillars into the biggest and best news, opinion and analysis online portal, Muslim online portal in the world. That is our ambition. Uh, and we've made baby steps towards that. I think we've established ourselves very much in the UK. Um, I personally, I mean, this is something that we need to discuss between ourselves. I personally would like to hire more people to cover the UK in more depth because we miss so many stories in the UK, especially outside of the the bubble in the southeast. I think, um, and ultimately, I would like to take Five Pillars around the world and you know have different franchises: uh, Five Pillars USA, Five Pillars Francais, Five Pillars Deutsch, wherever there's, especially in the West where there are massive Muslim communities. I think the Muslim world itself is quite well covered. It's obviously an area we have to cover, but I see a kind of opportunity to move into unreported areas, perhaps with Muslim diasporas in the Muslim world. That's the way I'm thinking at the moment. Yeah. Um, I know you're a big, I know you're really fond of the idea and, and inshallah it is in the pipeline when the circumstances allow it to happen. But you really want to set base in North America, don't you? In America, this is something that you. It, I think it's needed because I think I think I, again, a bit controversial, but I think uh, American Muslims are in danger of losing their Islam. That's um, not that controversial. Yeah, I think really know that they're far too liberal and they're shedding a lot of their Islamic theological and political principles, selling out to the LGBT lobby, selling out to the Zionists. And I think they really need some proper dawah. Do you know what I mean? Okay, fine. And, uh, okay, but, yeah. but, but, but <laughs> what makes you think, given that, given that general assessment of what makes you think that they'll take well to five pillars? I think we'll ruffle a lot of feathers, but I, we also, you and me personally, know a lot of American Muslims that feel the same way we do. They just haven't particularly got a voice in the establishment. Um, and inshallah, we could give them that voice, I think. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've never been to the United States. Uh, so I realized no, that we'd need a lot of um, help from it. We'd need American Muslims running the site, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the other thing that I'd like to add to that is that um, I, I, I know there's like this kind of southeast bubble that, that, you know, like a center of focus in terms of UK-based news. But we covered Birmingham quite well. 
yeah. the, the LGBT problem. Birmingham, Manchester, London, we've got it covered quite well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we do need more UK writers. We do need people who uh, would look into these stories and cover it for us. So please, if you are interested, get in touch with us, inshallah. Info at fivepillarsuk.com. Um, for me, Roshan, I, 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 I would... Say that in terms of a vision I mean I mean, It's one of those things When someone asks you Brother how's married life And then ask me Well brother I'm still married So that's a good sign right mm-hmm. uh, So in the same way That someone says Brother has five pillars I'm like, Well we're still around And that's always a good sign Yeah um, But I do want us And I guess this may be a, 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 Where we differ As characters And personalities um, Is that I do want Our Social media presence To increase many fold mm. Uh, and I think for many years, at least for the first two, three years, we didn't focus, besides Facebook, we didn't focus on the other outlets. Mm-hmm. Like for us, YouTube was an archive, wasn't it? We've only started taking YouTube seriously the last six months. Last six months, last six months to yeah. 12 months, last yeah. year or so, yeah? Instagram, we've just jumped onto it. The only two things that we focus on was Facebook and Twitter. Twitter mm-hmm. because journalists have to be on Twitter. Yeah. And Facebook, obviously, because that's where 48 to 56% of our readership comes from. So I do want our... Social media channels The other channels to grow I think we built a fantastic website With organic traffic mm. And I think that's one of the things Which we enjoy Which other outlets don't Yes, you know, mashallah They have very fantastic and huge uh, You know, Facebook pages Instagram channels, YouTube channels But their website We know from our traffic mm. We know from what our web developer f- Fills us in with every month The amount of unique visitors And hits and views that we get from people coming to our website and not necessarily entirely via Facebook, which is truly impressive. That's our core product, isn't it? And yeah. I think even, even um, you know, a relative of mine was looking at the website the other day. I hadn't looked at it for quite a while. There's so much to read on there. News stories, opinion, analysis. Reviews. reviews. Podcasts, every video. Spend hours on that site. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so therefore, I, I want to carry on us, us working and growing uh, on that. Um, this conversation has now come to an end, and, I'm, and this is the third time that we've been on screen. And how long have we been talking for? How long have we been talking for, Mosin? Two hours. Two hours. Wow! Enjoy the edit. You can cut about an hour and a half of that out. No, 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 no. This is this is this is okay. Wicked. Um, Roshan, Zakhmullah khair for okay, and, and, and for having us, and um, may Allah bless us, our work, our supporters, yeah. our donors. Um, even those who criticize us, um, and everyone involved in our work. I mean, and I pray that Allah. Accepts our efforts. I mean, I do dua every day that Five Pillars is, you know, a pillar for the Muslim community, a pillar for the Ummah, mm. and that, uh, you know, Allah guides us, protects yes. us from our enemies. I mean, guides us to the right path and makes us, um, you know, just a, you know, a, a fundamental pillar for the Muslims around the world. I mean, inshallah. Brothers and sisters, that was Roshan Muhammad Saleh. For those of you who are wondering who was that other guy from Five Pillars, well, you've met him. Uh, and I hope that. All the unanswered questions and queries and concerns that you may have had uh, relating to our organization have been answered, inshallah. Uh, we kindly ask you all to keep us in your prayers. Um, we're not going to get it right all the time. Um, um, and without your du'as and your support, we can we will only, inshallah, look to uh, improve. Um, please like this video, share this video, leave a comment, subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. For our viewers and listeners from North America, Uh, If you're looking for this podcast, actually not just North America, everywhere. If you're looking for this podcast on the other platforms, SoundCloud, um, Apple, Google, and all the other podcast platforms, search The Mad Mum Looks. And um, make sure you subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. 
And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast. A five pillars of mad monarch production.